We are kicking off a new series today, and I have to say that I am incredibly stoked to be kicking off this new series today, Um, and I hope that you'll be stoked very soon, uh, as soon as you find out why we are kicking off this series today and where we're going to be headed. Um, And so as part of that, uh, just just as an introduction, we're going to be, for the next five or six weeks, uh, leading right up to that June 30 day, we are going to be in this series called Inclined, Inclined. Um, And as part of that, I do want to uh, start with the foundation. And it's so important today is this vital foundation. If you miss what we're talking about today, um, it really is going to be one of those things which will lose value for you throughout the rest of these, the, the weeks where we're focused on this series, okay? So because today what we're talking about as part of the foundation, we're beginning with the end in mind. And if you miss the end, if you miss why we're doing what we're doing, if you miss where we're headed and what we're about, if you miss that piece, then, then you're, the rest of it will just be very flat. And I don't want that to be the case for you. And so make sure to lean in today for this series, Inclined and the Foundation of It. If you would grab your Bibles this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there were some that are spread out throughout the seats. Just reach over and grab one of those Bibles this morning. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is actually our gift to you. We would love for you to have that Bible so that you have something to be able to read at home in order to really just encourage your own heart and to speak to your own heart from the scriptures, okay? So take that Bible home. It's our gift. We would love for you to have it. If you haven't done it yet, open up your phone with your other hand and go to praise.fyi, tap on message notes. You'll find there the list of the verses that we're going to be going through today. There's really only a few. And um, as part of that, you'll also find an opportunity for you to take notes as you follow along. Once you get that set up rocking, open your Bibles up to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 today. If you have one of the church Bibles, it'll be on page 558 this morning. Um, As you're turning there, I can tell you it's a great series when you begin your foundation with the end in mind begins in the second most depressing book in the Bible. Everything is meaningless. So that's where we're going to be this morning as we're kicking off. Um, I do want to start with just really, really quickly, um, inclined. And what we mean by inclined, because there are certain words that you use uh, less frequently as time goes on. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that, like, I'm a wordophile, and that's not a word, and it's not a word that a wordophile would use, but a wordophile is somebody who loves words and loves understanding how to communicate. For me, a big part of what I do is communication, and so for me, I love reading words and reading about words and understanding even for words like where they came from and what the semantics are of it, right? Like that's, to me, that's valuable because of the fact that it's such a huge part of what I do in my job, right? So um, I love that. And one of the things that you can do if you're a wordophile is you can Google the word. And as part of that, the first couple definitions or the first couple things that you'll find are based on reputable dictionaries. And one of them, which I think it's from the Webster Dictionary, they'll actually show you, if you just Google a word, you're like, I wonder how often that word is used. Nobody else cares about this but me. But you can follow how much the word was used today and how much it used to be used. Like, 
So you can track over time how a word is used, how often it is used. So the word like in the 80s and 90s, right, it took off. The word inclined, the opposite. If you go back to the 1800s, the word inclined was a word that was used a ton and now over time has decreased in usage. And yet it's a beautiful word for us to understand in our faith. Inclined. Now when you're at home and you want to kick back and you want to relax, you recline, right? You kick back the thing, you put up your feet, you relax backwards. It's called reclining. And you watch the news or you watch the sports or you watch whatever you're watching, but you're just kind of reclining because you're not really engaged. If you were engaged, you would be leaning forward. And as a pastor prays, I can normally tell when people are engaged. Like if their heads are back like this, not engaged, right? But when the pastor says something, and maybe up until then you've just been, and all of a sudden the pastor says something that you're super interested in, you can see everybody go, right? Because you lean in towards it. You lean forward, and you're like, oh, I want to hear more about this. I've never seen it. But I've heard <laughs> that at times this happens for some pastors. I, I, I saw it one time. Somebody wrote about it. But at some point, this will happen for me, Okay. But that's what inclined means. An inclined or inclination is when you disengage. Let's say you disengage your, um, your conscious thought and you go into autopilot. What is it that you lean most towards? What is it that's the most natural for you? What is it that's like a habit? What's the thing that if you weren't, if you weren't working at it and putting effort into it, what would you be inclined towards that's an inclination right like what are you leaning in towards what happens most naturally right that's inclined and you find this word in scripture in fact you find it a lot and one of the ones we're going to read or the one we're going to read today is in ecclesiastes and it's really just a proverb in ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 2 this is what this says. And I want to set up this with just a couple of verses, and then I want to get to the one verse that I really want us to plant in today. But let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2. Here's what it says. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, I want you to know I'm a good pastor here. Because if I were a bad pastor... I would make a joke about politics, but I'm a good pastor. I'm not going to say anything about a wise man's heart inclining him to the right and a fool's to the left. I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm a good pastor, okay? But even as you're reading that and you're thinking of the implications of it, this one little proverb is deep and it's beautiful and it's rich and it tells us a whole lot about who we are and what we want and how God created us. Because here's a couple things I want you to slow down and notice, because a lot of times we read through things too fast. But I really do think we should stop and ask some questions of this verse. Because the first thing that jumps out at me is what part of us inclines us? What part of us gives us inclinations? It says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left it's the heart that inclines us it's not our our mind it's not our thoughts it's not our conscious 
um, thinking through things, but instead it's coming from a deeper place than our minds. It's coming from the seat of our affections. It's coming from the place which is our treasurer. If you remember last week, the heart which is our treasurer is what is inclining. And what is it inclining? It's not just inclining the heart. Listen to what it's doing. A wise man's heart inclines him. It inclines the whole of him. It inclines his heart and his mind and his actions. It inclines all of him. That is coming from the seat of our affections. This is huge. Your inclinations do not come from your conscious thought, but from a deeper place of affection and treasuring. What you treasure here, what you love, what you have affections for in your heart, you will be inclined towards. You will have inclinations towards that thing. The second thing I want to, just as I'm reading this, it's like, for me, just groundbreaking is who is inclined. It says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So that's the wise person and the foolish person are both inclined. Everybody turn to your right. That person, say to them, you are wise. <laughs> now everybody turn to the left and say, I love you very dearly. <laughs> As you came in this morning, this whole section over here, wise. This whole section over here, I love you. <laughs> okay, but your right is my left, and your left is my right. So I guess I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm... But who is that? If you've got the wise person who's inclined, and the foolish person who's inclined, that's everybody. Everyone is inclined towards something, according to this verse. And that's not what I would have expected it to say. Transparently, before I read this verse, what I would have expected it to say is, the foolish person follows the inclination of their heart, but the wise person does not. That's what I would have expected it to say. But that's not what it says. What it says is everybody's inclined. And the difference between the wise person and the foolish person is what are they inclined towards? So wisdom is not something that just happens in the brain, but it is something that seeps from the brain down into our very hearts and changes what we are inclined towards. The difference between a wise person and a foolish person is that their inclinations are different. One is inclined this way, the other is inclined this way. So this verse has massive implications. I think it's a brilliant and beautiful verse, and not just for Republican conservatives. Like, this is a verse, which, by the way, I do have to say, I wish at some point I want to see a big old truck with a shotgun in the back window with a bumper sticker on the bumper that just says Ecclesiastes 10-2. I think that would be genius. Like, brilliant and subtle and nobody has to know if they don't know scripture? Okay, all right, moving back. But this is a massive verse that tells us and really indicates for us 
where, where our inclinations are pointing us to, where their leading will speak to whether we're wise or foolish. This is huge. And it doesn't just happen in the brain. It happens at a much deeper level. What, whatever is our greatest treasure, we will be affectionate towards, and what we are affectionate towards, we will be inclined towards. Massive implication. And so I want to read for you a couple more verses before we get to the real verse that I want to be in today. And these are two verses that for me, God has been wrecking and rebuilding my heart with. Okay? And this is one that I've read recently on a Wednesday night, and I want you to turn to John chapter 14. A few weeks back, I read this verse, and I want to read for you how I used to read this verse. And then as a result of what God is doing in me, how I now read this verse. Because they're, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. John chapter 14, we're going to be verse 15, 901 in the church Bible if you have it. Here's what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How I used to read this word, ver, this verse was as a statement of essence. I used to read this verse as, if you love me equals keeping my commandments. Love equals keeping commandments. Love equals obedience. Now let me tell you what happened in my faith when I read that that way it flattened everything out to a two-dimensional faith. When our God wants me to have a multi-dimensional faith. It flattened it out to the point where I said, okay, obedience equals love. The heart of the Christian faith is obeying God, which is not true. The heart of the Christian faith is love. This is not a statement of essence. How I now read this is as an if-then statement. It's a promise. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. It's a fundamentally different way to read it. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Love is way more than obedience. It includes obedience, but it's way more than obedience. In fact, love is the platform that leads to obedience. Affection for God makes me want to obey him. Gives me inclination towards obeying him. I want to fulfill the commandments because of my love for him. Okay? Now, I know this is basic. I know this is elementary. But just transparently, I feel like I finally graduated from preschool and am in kindergarten of my faith. And I'll be transparent again with you that kindergarten was the best grade of all. Because that's the grade where you get to take naps. And transparently, this understanding has led to all kinds of rest. I am all about the kindergarten of the faith if I can find rest in it. 
Because that's the promise of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, if you're not with me, let me give you another verse. This is a huge verse again, which speaks on a much deeper level to it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. 1,023 in the church Bibles. Here's what it says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, you might look at that and go, well, Alan, you just said the opposite of that. This is a statement of essence. This is the love of God, definition, that we keep his commandments, right? Like, you just said the opposite. Now you're saying that it is? This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. There's a big difference between Greek and Hebrew, And there's a big difference between Greek and English. Now for me, when I'm texting somebody, I am 100% for proper spelling, proper grammar, proper punctuation. 13-year-old girls are not interested in those things. When they text, doesn't matter if there should be a period there. It doesn't matter if there should be a comma there. They just don't use it. Now, for me, I use it all the time. And in voice to text, I do that. I say, hey, babe, comma, I just want to let you know that I love you, period. Okay? That's how I do it. I don't know how many of you guys do that as well. All right, cool. Like five of you. Good. I'm glad I'm in the majority. Okay. (laughs) The best is when you're leaving a voicemail and you forget that you're leaving a voicemail. Hey, babe, comma, I just want to let you know that I love you, period. I've done that before, if you've ever received a voicemail from me like that, where you accidentally left punctuation because you're used to voice to text. Yeah, I've done that. That's not awkward at all. Um, But the difference between me and a 13-year-old girl when they text is the difference between English and Greek. Because in English, we have periods and commas, and they should be used properly. But in Greek, there was no punctuation, and the capitalizations weren't the beginning of a sentence. It all just ran together. And so that period there was not there. And even if it was, listen, it's kind of a little period, and you can climb right up over the top of it. Read it again. For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments and... His commandments are not burdensome. You want a definition of the love of God. This is it. Not only that you keep his commandments, but that they are not burdensome. Why would a commandment be burdensome? Well, if you're inclined a different direction and yet you know what you're supposed to do, what you ought to do, and so you just shoulder up and do it. That's burdensome. What is not burdensome? When you are naturally or supernaturally inclined that direction already. That is not burdensome. That is light and it's beautiful. And that is God's design for your faith. He calls alive your affections for him. And those affections orient your heart towards him which orients your entire being towards how he desires you would live. This is a thing of beauty, and this is God's design for your faith. If you miss this, if you miss it, your faith will be ever so flat, and you'll just do what you're supposed to do because you ought to do. But if you catch this, 
God will call alive your affections and aerate your heart, and you will do it because you want to. This is his design for you. He would incline your hearts towards him. Let's get to the verse I actually want to preach on. Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you find a series of seven messages to seven different churches from Jesus Christ prophetically through John. And these seven different churches are all in what is now modern-day Turkey. And you find this series of messages, prophetic messages, that are to these different churches. And the very, very first one is to the church in Ephesus, and that's Revelation chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Here's what it says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested them who call, or those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. What a great church. This is a church that is holding on for heaven. This is a church, as you read through it, it says that they have works, that they are hard workers, that they toil and have patient endurance. But it's not just that they're working hard, they also do not allow evil or sin in their midst, right? They cannot bear with those who are evil. They don't, they don't invite sin in. Instead, they keep it away. Like they aren't living in sin. They keep that. So it's not just that they're enduring. It's not just that they're working. It's not just that they're toiling. It's the fact that they understand that sin is sin and they keep it away. Here's what it says. And you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So like the whipped cream on top of it is the fact that They're also theologically solid. Somebody comes in with a great message and it sounds great and they're like, ooh, that's great. But they understand enough about theology that they don't just go with it. They test and they say, ah, no, there's something wrong here. So they're not only working hard, they're not only keeping sin away, but they are also testing those who come in against theological truth. So they have a good theological foundation. And then the cherry on top of that, I love this, and I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up. Why? For my namesake. So it's not like they're doing it because they they want glory themselves. They're doing it for God's glory, right? So they have the right kind of direction in what they're trying to accomplish. They're doing it for his glory, and they can keep on doing it for a while because they have not yet grown weary. They got some ahead of them yet. They're holding on for heaven. The problem is they also have a big but. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the word abandoned there is to leave behind. It's like somewhere along the way, they set it down and kept on walking. 
It's used all through the New Testament in that way. They left it behind. They abandoned. They forsook it. They, they set it down, and they kept moving. They forgot their first love. How many of you remember your first love? Carnally, how many of you remember your first love? How many of you are sitting next to your first love? Liars. <laughs> Elizabeth was not my first love. I know, I know. Um, that was in kindergarten. And I don't remember her name. But I remember her as a sensation and raven black hair. She was my first love. My second love was Mrs. Storino in first grade. She taught me all my letters and numbers. We'll always have letters and numbers, Mrs. Storino and I. Anytime I see letters and numbers, I think of Mrs. Storino. She never gave me her number, but whatever. Third grade was Jenna. Jenna will always have a place in my heart, honey. You might say to me, that's not love. You have no idea at that level what is love. So at what point do I? When do I know what love is? Is it when I'm a teenager and the hormones kick in? Or is it when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior or... Is it when I hear a sermon on agape versus phileo versus eros? Or is it when I've got 1 Corinthians chapter 13 memorized that I understand what love is? At what point do I know and can I say that I love? Is it when I had my first kid and I understood what selflessness was? Is it when I had my second kid and I really understood what selflessness was? Was it when I became the pastor of this church and I understood why selflessness is? Like at what point can you say that I'm properly loving? You might say to me, well, it's not until you love Christ not until it's an informed love and you know what the depths of love are. This is talking about first love. And when I think of Jesus and my faith in Jesus Christ, I remember my first love. And it was an affection. And quite honestly, it wasn't the best informed. It wasn't. It wasn't a love that had ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It wasn't a love that had ever even heard the word agape or phileo or eros. It was a love that was an affection for him. It wasn't a love that fully understood Jesus Christ's love for me. 
I'm still working on that one. It was an affection, and I can tell you where the affection was born from. It was an affection that heard the rustle of the trees on East Avenue in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and heard the voice of my God. It was an affection that was born in early morning walks and smelling the dew on the wind and tasting the perfume of my God. It was an affection that came from a heart that wanted to please him because I found pleasure on the sunrise over Granddaddy Bluff knowing that that sun rose because my God never tires of sunrises and so deems it right. It was a love that wondered at the works of his hand. It did not fully understand what love is. It was an affection for him. That's what first love is. And he says to them, you got all this stuff going on, but somewhere along the line, you set down your affection for God and kept on moving. And I have this against you. He continues on. And he says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. My guess is they never did. Because I couldn't message this church this week and ask them how it worked out. They're gone. He continues on and he says, Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they forgot their first love, but they're holding on to their first hate. When you read Nicolaitans there, that was the name for the patriots before they became the patriots. So God is saying to them, you hate the works of the patriots, which I also hate, okay? I just, just really wanted to clear, no, the Nicolaitans were, <laughs> I'm sorry, the Nicolaitans were not like a, a, another city or a sports team or anything like that. It was a sect, like Christian, Nicolaitan, like this is a sect which had some real evil like weaved into it. And it says, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. And I really want to be clear on this. I want to be clear on this because this is important. Just because we love doesn't mean we cannot hate because God is not not condemning them on this. Just the opposite. He's saying, yet you have this. You hate properly. You hate what I hate. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. But let me be also clear on this. Just because we hate the right thing does not mean that we love the right thing. An inclination towards one thing naturally will have an aversion towards another. And isn't that what hate is? In the same way that love would be an inclination towards, hate would be an aversion to. But I think sometimes we settle in on the hate part 
and forget the love part. So he says, this is the issue. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? If the affection for him is not what it once was, if we've forsaken that first love, what's the plan? What are we going to do? Because if you come to me and you say, man, I don't love God the way I should, I'll say that to you. So what's your plan? Be like, well, I can't, I mean, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to start loving him? It's something that happens to me, right? Like I can't start loving him. Wrong. Wrong. Because Jesus gives the Ephesians exactly what to do. Here's what he says. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Start by remembering that. Recall to your mind that first affection for Jesus Christ. Bring it back. Think about it. Think about it some more. And then he says, repent. That means this is a sin. It is a sin to not love him the way that I should. Repent. Call out to God, I have failed in keeping my affection for you burning. Forgive me, O oh God. Repent. And then he says, and do the things that you did at first. What was it that you did at the beginning? Do that again. If your love for your spouse has burned out, what did you do at first? When you first started dating, I doubt you spent all your time on the couch watching TV. Take her on a date. Public displays of affection. It was disgusting then. It's cute now. Do it. <laughs> and even if you're not willing to go that far, do it in front of your kids. It has like multiple benefits. Grosses them out and it increases your affection for your spouse. Like that's a win, 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 win. Remember what you used to do and do that again. And that's what he's saying here. What did you used to do in your faith? Go back to it, repent, and go back to how you first lived. He says, if you do not have that love and affection for God, repent and do what you did at first. This whole series, Inclined, is really about one thing. The spiritual disciplines. just about disciplining ourselves spiritually and what those are but it is so vital that we understand this piece that the spiritual disciplines have as an end as an intended goal not your christian maturity you do not pray to become mature you do not 
uh, read your Bible to become mature. That's not the goal. If you have that as the goal, the problem is you're losing sight of what the end should be. You're setting it down and you're walking on without it. The goal of all of the spiritual disciplines is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And to know Christ, this is a deep truth. This is a really deep truth. To love Christ, you need to know him. To love Christ, you need to know him. But you know what's incredible? To know Christ, you need to love him. It's really a deep truth. We'll be talking more about that on Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. If you want to know, join us on Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. in here. To love Christ, you need to know him. To know Christ, you need to love him. It'll bear out with Scripture. So knowing and loving Christ is the end goal. And here's why that's important. Because as you're walking along, if you lose sight of the end, you can have all the other stuff right. All of it. You can be patiently enduring, working hard. You can be going through the motions. You can even do it all for the glory of God. You can have good theological truth. But if you lose sight of what the end should be, you can be going through every single spiritual discipline, but if you have the wrong end in mind, and by the way, this is exactly what the enemy does. If he can't get you to stop, what he'll do is try to change your motivation in what you're doing. It's what he did for the Ephesians, right? He changed their motivation and they got everything going on. And honestly, I think it's more dangerous to do the right things for the wrong reasons than to not do the right things at all. Because you have the appearance of everything being great without the actuality of everything being great. And that's a dangerous place to be. But that's what the enemy would do to you. Change your motivation. Change the end. Change the purpose. And you could be going through all the religious motions and be missing out on what the end should be. The goal of all spiritual disciplines is not your spiritual maturity. The goal of spiritual... I've said it over and over and I'm going to keep on saying it over and over again. The goal of all of our spiritual disciplines is to know Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection. To love him more. To... In that, incline our hearts towards him. This is the beautiful thing about our faith works. We love him more, and as we love him more, we are more inclined to the commandments. This is what this whole series is about. Welcome to Inclined. What we're going to do in this series is we are going to talk through these spiritual disciplines. But do not lose sight of this. Do not lose sight of this. The end. And the end is knowing Christ and loving Christ. Catch that. Know that. Grasp that. Keep that as the center of your focus. And as you go through the spiritual disciplines and you remember those things that you did at first, may it increase your affection. I want to read for you a verse that I read on Wednesday night that has been my prayer over this church for the last months, really. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. 
May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for me. As I love him more, may I be more inclined towards him. As I read the word, may I be more inclined towards him. As I pray, may I be more inclined towards him. And you have one job this week. One job as we're kicking this off. Now that you know what the end is, here's your job. Remember. Remember. Think back. Remember when you didn't know everything. Remember. When your affections burned bright. Remember the things that used to stir your affections towards him. Think on it. Because this is different for each and every one of us. For me, it is still hearing the wind in the trees. It is still smelling the dew on the wind. And it is still seeing that sunrise in the east. And the flowers that have been called forth in the spring. That still causes my affection for Jesus Christ to rise up. But that's me. And each of us are different. And what calls my affections alive for Jesus may not be the same thing that calls your affections alive for Jesus. But remember what it was. Just remember, that's all I'm asking this week. Remember, think on it in the mornings when you wake, at night before you fall asleep. Remember what it was that called your affections alive, that stirred them up for Jesus Christ. That's your job. We'll see where that takes us. But remember the end, the goal, the intended purpose is always knowing Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me today? May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. And it begins with us coming to a point where we make a decision for Christ Jesus. And if you're in here and you've never made that decision and said, oh Jesus, I need what you can offer. I make you the Lord of my life. You are above all in my heart. I trust you, I believe in you, and I believe the scriptures are true of you when it said that you died for my sins and rose again. And today, if that's right where you're at, I want to invite you to today put your faith in him. If you're in here and you would say, that's me, I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'm going to confess him as Lord of my life. And I'm going to invite you to speak out and do the exact same thing. Just join with me. Say it out loud. You are Lord of my life. Father, we do come to you today. And oh Lord, our affections matter. 
our love matters. If we lose sight of this, we flatten the whole thing out and we lose the depths of your incredible promise to us. And so today I pray that you would speak again to us and say your affections matter. Your love for me matters. For any person who's in here who has set their love down and continued on their way, No one knows but them and you. Oh God, I pray that you would remind them of that first love this week. May they remember what it was that first called those affections alive, first stirred those affections in their hearts, oh God. First set them on a path to loving and serving and following, oh God. Stir that this week, I pray. Help them to remember Incline their hearts towards you, oh God, I pray. Father, I pray for any who are in here right now who have never even touched this, never been in the midst of this, never experienced it. Oh God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and say, this is what I have for you. It's not a burden. It's not something I have to do and go through the motions and get it cleaned up. But it is you calling alive inside of them by the power of the resurrection, a new life. And it's available in Christ Jesus. So I pray right now that even as I confess you as Lord, Jesus is Lord. I pray that others would as well. For the first time, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You hold that supreme place in my heart. You and you alone make those decisions, oh God. I trust in you and I believe in you and I know that God raised you from the dead. And I believe that not just in my mind, but in the depths of my heart today. Oh God, call awake those affections, I pray. Call them awake, oh God, I ask. In the precious name of Jesus. And Father, more than anything else, I pray over this church right now. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 And may God, may you, in their lives, direct their hearts to the love of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Direct their hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Amen. In a moment, I'm going to dismiss, and when I do, I just want to invite you, if you're in here and you did accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today, In a moment when others head out and walk out those doors, would you take this moment and instead head down to the front? This prayer team has committed themselves not just to pray with you today, but all week long. They will be praying for you all week long. That's their commitment. So if you would, just come and they'd like to talk with you about that, pray with you, kind of set you on the right path here. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, they would love to pray with you as well. And maybe you need to come and just repent publicly and say, I've lost that first affection and I want it to come back alive inside of me. They would love to pray with you about that as well. If not, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. Make sure to be back for it. It's going to be so, so good.